0: Let me just start today before I get into the text this morning. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's not really long, but just wanted you to be aware. Um, I I made a decision, you know, months ago uh, while we we're in the Book of Revelation to go through the Book of Acts, and, and I did so because this is really the history uh, of the early church uh, in its purity, in its innocence, and you know, I see here. You know, really God's pattern for a church family. And I'm preaching it with, with that idea or bent in mind that you know, we're looking for a pattern here. And of course, I want us to calibrate our efforts, what we're doing, gauge those against what we see here. And we need to make adjustments of the church you know, to do so. And of course, in some measure, that responsibility would, would fall on me in a greater way than others. But there's times like today, when we come to a text where there's individual responsibility to maybe make some course correction. You know, I, I, I often try to think, what, what is a Christian? And I don't mean that in terms of like statement of faith. I, I understand what it means to be a Christian, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I, I mean in more of a pragmatic, practical way in the way we live our lives. What is to be our priority? You know, what are we to be doing on a daily basis? You know, is it, it just, is it conforming to some standard? Which of course there is a standard, but that standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to look more like Him and be in His image. And, and, and today I, I see something here that I think all of us could give greater attention to. And if you would find agreement with that, you know, I, w- I would ask you today to, to make that alignment shift, to make a change, to purpose in your hearts, to do what we find encouragement to do here in the text. So with that said, I want to ask you to stand as we look into this third chapter of the book of Acts. And I want to do this, I want you just to back up a few verses into chapter 2, verse 43. I'm going to read that singular verse and then all the verses of chapter 3. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 43, the Bible says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the Apostles. Chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he, the lame man, gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, the lame man leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple." And they, the people, were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, um, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, and they were greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, this assembled crowd of wondering people, he answered unto the people. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied Him in the presence of Pilate, when He was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer it was Barabbas to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren. I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all His prophets, that Christ should suffer, He hath fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And this is a reference to the millennial kingdom in Isaiah chapters 11 and 35. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall be the Lord your God, raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. You are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for the next few moments, as Lord, we consider, uh, Lord, this uh, deep and rich text, that Lord, you'd help us to, Lord, understand its meaning, its context, its history, and then, Lord, to extract purpose and, Lord, application for our individual lives. And I'm going to ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. For standing. Thus far in the book of Acts we have seen the gifting or the granting of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, the followers, the apostles of Christ. Just as Jesus promised before His ascension, the Divine Comforter was given as Jesus sat down at the right hand of God upon His throne in all His glory. A miracle was wrought in the giving of the original descent of the Holy Spirit by miraculously allowing the disciples to speak in the foreign languages of all the pilgrims who had gathered together at Jerusalem on this special holiday of Pentecost, a day when all the Jews were to, to gather together to worship God. It was an incredible miracle. It was, a, it was a wonder. It was a marvel. And the marvel of this event. And the questions that the people ask about it initiated Peter's first Pentecost sermon. And it was, as we looked at last week, a theological, two weeks ago, a theological masterpiece. Peter argued from the Old Testament Scripture and from the life of Christ that He indeed was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one whom they were to look for. He was the one who would bring the restoration of Israel and even the whole world. And despite their antagonism, and despite their opposition to Christ while He was alive, God in His sovereignty and in His omnipotence was working out His plan, His plan of salvation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the people upon hearing Peter's sermon were pricked at the heart. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 souls were saved. 3,000 people entered into the Kingdom of God, and the church in Jerusalem multiplied greatly on that day. Then the latter verses of chapter 2 give us a summary of the early church life there in Jerusalem, and it pressed the point, as I did last week, that the early disciples continued in the faith. It was a portrait of commitment. It was a portrait of fellowship and of prayer. And then in chapter 2, verse 43, this statement is made that I'm going to read again, and it says that many miracles and many wonders were performed by the Apostles. And that was an ongoing event in the early church life. Well, chapter 3 presents to us a solitary example of those wonders and signs done by the Apostles in this early church age. And it was done in the healing of the lame man that was found in the temple courts. The story begins with Peter and John at the third or the ninth hour of the day, which would be about 3 p.m. our time. were going to attend the services at the temple. Now, this is the time when the Jews in greatest number would have descended upon the Temple Mount for sacrificing, for prayers, and for almsgiving. The fact that Peter and John were still attending these services, tells us that they viewed the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. And while temple worship was no longer necessary, it was a way in their hearts to honor God, and probably more importantly, it would provide an opportunity uh, for them to see the salvation of their countrymen fulfilled as the Lord allowed them to speak. But in attendance that day, at the gate beautiful, which is a very large and ornate gate. It it was said that it took 20 to 30 men to actually swing the gate open and to close it. That on that day, a man was laid there. A man who was born with a congenital defect that prevented him from walking. And in these days, a man who could not walk, could not work, and he could not provide for his family. So it was the obligation and the duty of family, men, family and friend, to bring this man to this place and to beg for alms." And it was in this way that this individual would have provided financially for himself and perhaps even for an extended family. Now the, the Jews in, of this day, as in the Old Testament, took almsgiving very seriously. And uh, they saw it as a duty. And because this man was here every day, that's a testament to the fact that the Jews did, in fact, give from what they had to those who were in need. But this day was different. On this day, Peter and John were walking through this gate called Beautiful. And this man who had been there with this disease of lameness asked of them an all. He was asking for help. He was asking for money. He was asking them to, you know, fulfill the Old Testament law and, and to be,, uh, you know, someone who was holy and just and prove that through their giving. And as he asked Peter John for this alms, he was met by the intense gaze of Peter, who in turn asked the man for his undivided attention. Peter's first words, no doubt, fell in a discouraging way upon the man. Here's a man in need. Uh, he was probably asking for the, the money that would buy the bread for him that day, perhaps for his family. And, and these two men maybe looked somewhat new to him. He, he maybe thought that they would be someone who would be willing to give. And so these opening words crafted by Peter had to be discouraging. And he said, silver and gold have I none but then there's this conjunction with the word but. But presently, Peter was going to offer something much more meaningful and necessary to this man that he immediately realized. This man was about to be an illustration of what all men need despite their physical condition, and that is an interaction, that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the new life that He can bring. And so this man was told Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Peter, though a man not of earthly means, was a possessor of the authority and grace of God found in Christ. And in his name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter passed on, what he himself possessed in his heart to this man in need. Now, this phrase, in the name of Jesus, implies much. First, it means that Peter was acting under the umbrella of the authority of Jesus Christ. He was serving as Christ's ambassador. Uh, he, he, he was one who was acting as agent and regent For the Lord Jesus Christ. He had an apostleship that was given to him by Christ. He was acting under the authority of Christ. But it implies more than that, it implies that he was acting according to Jesus' own will. And I might add even more precisely it meant he, Peter, was doing what Jesus would have done himself if he had, had been present." Now you get that? So Christ is still at the right hand of God, but Peter, as an agent, a regent, an ambassador for Christ, under his umbrella of authority, looked on an opportunity through the eyes and lens of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he thought to himself, what would Christ do? And in that moment, he simply did what Christ would have done. And in so acting on the authority of Christ, he received the same result that Jesus Christ would have received. Amen. And that was the healing of the lame man. He was acting in the grace and in the spirit and in the compassion of Christ. And when he did so, Peter and the former lame man, who had grasped hands at this moment, and then he was pulled up, this man's legs and ankles immediately found strength. And the Bible said, he just didn't get up, he just didn't stand up. It's kind of like this picture of a guy kind of skyrocketing. He leapt up from the place where he had been. And in so doing fulfilled the words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, verse 6, that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. That's what was happening right now, streams in the desert. Blind would receive their sight, the dumb would speak, and here a lame man would be made to walk. This man, now leaping, the text tells us praising God, and in so doing, make, making quite the spectacle followed closely on the heels of Peter and John, his benefactors, who had worked a miracle in the name of Christ. Those who had passed by this man, and you have to understand this man was there every day, and attending the temple in the ninth hour and the evening sacrifice was quite common for the people to do on a daily basis, they immediately recognized that man. And they knew who he formerly was. They knew that he was a man whose parents and friends brought every day to the temple. And now that man whom they knew had this congenital defect from birth was now leaping and praising God and giving testimony to the wondrous works of God. And rightly so, the Bible says, they all greatly wondered and marveled, and so too would we. But Peter's not content with that work, sets out on a second... Peter now seizing this opportunity begins this second recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Without going into detail, these are the main points that it was not in his own power that this man was raised to a new life, but rather deflecting to Christ It was Jesus Christ, the one whom Abraham and Isaac and Jacob pointed to, that had done this miracle in this man's life. And Peter goes on to expand the identity of Christ. He said, He, Jesus, was the one whom you rejected and denied, yea, even crucified, in exchange for a murderer named Barabbas. But despite your antagonism, despite your indifference, God, in his great omnipotence and eternal plan, worked in and through Christ and rose him, resurrected him from the dead. And it is by that resurrection power in Christ that this man, whom you all know, has been made whole in your sight. You are witnesses. Peter argues that Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, that his suffering was foretold, that if you had eyes to see, you would see that in the Word of God. And because of these truths, He is the Messiah, the one whom you should acknowledge and bow to. Presently, He resides and is received in heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God. But today, as witnesses of this miracle, you still have opportunity to acknowledge Him. And the way that you acknowledge Christ is to repent. And if you'll repent, the Bible says, in your sins, your iniquities will be wiped away, washed away. In, in the Greek, it's a fascinating term. It means that everything that was once there is now removed. All the sins, all the stains, all the evil acts of, of commission and those of omission, they're wiped away. And you can be reconciled unto God. When Peter makes the argument that Jesus was the prophet whom God raised up, who was likened unto Moses, whom they were supposed to listen to. And just as men who disregarded Moses found destruction, so too would all of you who reject Christ. And in rejecting Christ, and this is still true today, you forfeit. You forfeit salvation, you forfeit the ability to have your sins wiped away. You forfeit the seasons of blessings that you could know now. You forfeit the ability to know the times of refreshing that will come at the second advent of Christ and the ensuing millennial kingdom. You forfeit all the goodness that God wants to bring into your life. It is an incredible forfeiture. Now, while this sermon and its truth about the identity of Christ merits much additional attention and study... Time demands that we focus on something more singular. And for today I want us to focus on the central pivot, the fulcrum of the text, the place where the outworking of Peter's sermon was wrought. And I want want you to take your Bibles and I want you to look at verse number 6. Because we're going to take the rest of our thoughts for this morning from this text. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. And and I'd like these next words to kind of sink in a little bit. But such as I have. But such as I have. Well, from that resource and from that pool and from that place, I can give to others. And I can give to you in the name of Christ This is the verse where Peter appropriates the name of Christ and all that means. And in so doing, unleashes the power of Christ in this lame man's body. And more precisely, where we can marvel and rejoice in this lame man's miracle, but but more than I want us to focus our attention on the words and actions of Peter. Because minus what Peter does here, there would be nothing past verses 6 and 7. There would just be Peter and John going to the temple in the story. And in a way, it's the only place in the text where you and I can make immediate application to our lives. The story of Acts chapter 3 unfolds quickly. But we need to pause and consider the principles and mechanics of Peter's actions and, of course, of his words. In the Old Testament, God's prophets were authenticated by the miracles that they performed. As in today, there were many um, false prophets, false Christs, false teachers. And Moses and others taught that you can distinguish the true from the false, those whose words should be heeded, and those whose words should not be heeded, based on the miracles or the validation of the miracles working in them by God." There were many people who made claims, but their life and their words did not support their claims. But God worked only miracles through those that were truly His. In the same manner, the apostolic ministry of the Twelve was also authenticated by the signs and the wonders they performed, uh, chapter 2, verse 43, and in our text today. And and Paul leans on his apostolic authority in this authentication of the miracle working when he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, truly the signs of the Apostle we wrought among you all in patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds, and that's what's happening in our text. God authenticating uh, Peter as a man of authority through the miracle that He is working through him, but look here, but more than that, He's authenticating the words that Peter would speak. You see, the miracle was a means of capturing the tension so the people could be pointed to a greater truth. Okay, y'all with me? The deeds of Peter not only authenticated the fact that he belonged to Christ, but it gave opportunity and occasion for him to speak the truth of Christ to an audience that would have otherwise not ever listened Okay, that is so important. Jesus performed miracles to authenticate His identity, His deity, the Son of God. But Jesus also performed miracles to show people who He was. He was a God of grace and kindness and love and compassion to reveal who He was. And so the point and the principle that I hope we're all catching on to now. You know, men can and should be persuaded of truth simply because it's presented. I mean, they should. And they should because there's just so much that is self-evident truth. I can look at myself in the mirror and examine my life. I can evaluate who I really am And with any honesty and integrity at all, I know I'm a sinner. I mean, we all know that, don't we? I I can look in the sky and and wonder at the cosmos. And I can see the sun and the moon and the stars in their course. And And if I have any brains at all, I have to understand that all of that violates the laws of thermodynamics and that there has to be a creator. And I have to understand, and I do understand deep inside, that a day of reckoning is coming. A a day of truth, where I'm going to have to face who I am. And and the truth is, is that the wages of sin is death. And I I believe that that that, that kind of instinct is in all of us. And man should respond to these self-evident truths. But... This is the second time in as many chapters chapters, that God uses a miracle to gain an audience to present a greater truth than the miracle itself. And herein is the application for us. And a place for us to evaluate the authenticity of our own Christian life. Sometimes... Sometimes. An act of kindness needs to to, uh, precede the proclamation of a truth. So you and I can gain an audience to speak the truth to the people who are the recipients of our kindness. You with me? Sometimes. This is a sometime, it was a sometime in chapter two. Sometimes an act of grace, an act of kindness, a going out of our way, a seeing of the world through the eyes of Christ and acting in those occasions, just as the Lord Jesus Christ would have acted so as to gain the heart of a person so we might have access to their mind for a truth that can save them and their soul from an eternal hell. This in part is what Christians are supposed to do. Act in grace and kindness to lead others to Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus went about doing, what's the word? Good demonstrating kindness, love, compassion. His heart was filled with compassion. He asked the disciples to have the same heart, to lift their eyes to see Jerusalem with the same eyes of compassion that He did. He acted in compassion and grace in the healing of blind Bartimaeus, in talking to the woman at the well, in the healing of the, the demonic of Gadira, in casting out the evil spirits of a young boy, of calling Lazarus to come forth from the grave, standing by the harlot and saving her from imminent stoning and the feeding of 5,000 on multiple occasions. These were miracles, but at their core were acts of kindness and grace that all gained an audience so that people could hear a greater truth. You know, I can stand up here all day in this room and I can preach. And I can open this book filled with truth. And I, I'm trying. And I'm going to do this. And I can preach to you. And we can all say amen. I can stand here every Sunday and do this. We can even move. You and I can go out to the streets and begin to shout the truth to the rooftops. And we can pass out tracks. And and I will tell you, good will come from that. It will. But some who could be reached will not be reached until you and I slow down and fasten our eyes on someone in Christ's love. Now, if you want to be a Christian, that's part of it. That's part of it. This is good. This is great. I'm going to preach. I think good's going to come from it. I could go stand on that street corner on 21st Street and Night, and I can preach, and, you know, I don't know. Some good might come from that. And we can pass out tracts, which I endlessly encourage you to do because the gospel's on it and the truth is there and the power of the Holy Spirit can work through that and men can be saved. And I think, I think people will be saved. I think people will be helped. But sometimes more may be required of us than those cursory efforts. We have, we have, we have to dirty our hands down an alley. We may have to actually give of ourselves in a sacrificial way. So, someone inquires of the reason of the hope that's within us. You see, it's kindness that sometimes draws someone to the sound of the gospel. They may come for the kindness, they may come for the act, but the truth will keep them. The truth will make them saved, the truth will make them disciples. But the thought I want us to consider today, I mean, this, this phrase struck me, such as I have, such as I have, I give. You know, that's all we can do. You can't give what you do not possess. And if you don't give it, then is it reasonable to maybe ask if we possess it? The love of Christ? Versus religion? Or a weekly routine? See, that makes me think. That makes me stop. And just ponder myself in the mirror a little bit more. Such as I have, I give. what have I done and what have you done in the last few weeks in the name of the Lord under the umbrella of His authority, acting as He would have acted if He were present? It is a sadness in the modern world and in the modern church that we have gained perhaps too much Silver and gold. You know, we've gained silver and gold, but I wonder if we've lost the ability and/or the willingness to grab someone in the gutter by the hand and say, Rise up and walk. And I'm not talking about the apostolic ministry of miracle working. That's gone. But the heart doesn't have to be, does it? I mean, what in the world? The heart doesn't have to be. It's not supposed to be. For me to walk down out of my daily routine and to grab someone by the hand and say, follow me to church, that's what they did. The guy followed him to the temple to help someone out of their position, to give someone a chance at a new life, not just a new faith, but a whole new life. And all that it can bring. Yeah, you know, there's this, there's this thought, this, is, this encouragement this year. Have someone here because of your efforts. Someone in these pews. Someone that you've grabbed by the hand. Someone that you've lent emotional, physical, psychological help to. Someone in a bad place that through your love, your grace, as such that you possess that you can deposit in them to give them strength so they can rise and walk in a whole new way. Who's walking in new life because of any of us? And that's not an indictment, that, that is a, that's, a, that's a question that is posited for our benefit. We are giving and we are gaining from our silver and gold. We have buildings, we have land, we have property, we have facilities, we have pews, we have lights, we have uh, heating and air conditioning. We fund a thousand things with silver and gold. But are we capturing the attention of a needing, a needful, hurting world by grabbing someone's help and say, hey, let me help you walk. Let me show you a different way. Let me lead you to something, to a place where you can find real help and discover a new life. Who are we bringing under the sound of the gospel by our acts of grace and love? You know, if we would do that, just the same way as a miracle does, we're authenticating the grace of God in a way I'm not saying it needs it, I'm just saying we are. But here's what I thought about. You know what we're also doing? We're authenticating the fact that that grace of God's within us. And if that's not there, in part, what other proof do you have? Don't press my point theologically too far, but you get the point. A servant is not above his master and should endeavor at every point to be like him. And going in the name of Christ means living a life like Jesus Christ himself would live. And that's acting to you and to you and to you. And more importantly, to all the people out there in a way that maybe meets their needs immediately so a greater spiritual need can be met. Simple challenge for the coming week. How could this week differ from last week if you and I walked out these doors and looked at the world through the filter of the name of Christ? We're his ambassadors. We stand in his stead. What acts of compassion, what kindness, what grace might we demonstrate? Yes, preach. Yes, tell the truth. Absolutely. Pass out a track. And maybe a little bit more. Maybe do just a little bit more. Help a hurting person someone in need, to grant yourself the privilege of granting them something more than silver and gold. Perhaps the willingness to listen to the gospel so they can be saved. You see, I'll end with this. We all know that Jesus can transform and give new life to someone because he did it. But Acts chapter 3 says that he can also do it to the deeds of others who go in his name. And that's us. So let me ask you to stand.